I woke up on the 1st of January feeling so hopeful because of that excitement. I woke up with a hangover. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was not feeling hopeful. <laughs> Later that day, I felt a little bit more hopeful, but initially it was like the hope Fearful. that I hadn't lost my wallet. And welcome to 2018's first episode of Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr. And this week we are loving ourselves because why the hell not? It's the happiness episode. And I'm calling it that because the two women joining me in studio today make me ridiculously happy. A familiar voice and friend of the show, Sarah Doyle, founder of The Better Life Project, is back. And body positivity advocate and Instagrammer Sarah Tyrrell also joins us. Ladies, you're very welcome to the show. Did I say your second name right? You did. I wasn't expecting that at all. Do you know, it just, it just it's rolled. It's so unnerving now people say it right. It just rolled off the tongue well and then done. I realised that I didn't check. Um, so before we get down to it, let's kick things off with our favourite game. It's called Six Words or Less and it's for our listeners and our readers of Her.ie who may not know who you are so you have to describe yourself in six words or less. Now I have two Sarahs in front of me so I think I'm going to do Sarah T and Sarah D and we'll see if that works. So We'll see if that can stick. So Sarah T, six words or less. Um, just trying to figure it out. Oh, I think kind of sums up my whole approach to life is that I'm kind of like stumbling around in the dark all the time. I love that. And most of the time, I think I get away with it. I kind of look like I know what I'm doing, but yeah. don't be just trying to figure it out. Sarah D, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm going to use very similar words that I used the last time. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I must have said something about positive, compassionate, um, ambitious, uh, loyal. Was that six words? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was only three, but it was brilliant. Sarah T set the bar too high. I thought <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Don't be silly. Um, so we are going to be talking about body positivity and finding joy through social media a little bit later on. But first, New Year, New Me. It is January and New Year's resolutions are everywhere. So how do we feel about them? Let's just dive right in. Well, I'm a believer. I know you are. Mm-hmm. I think that's but great. My job as a life coach is predominantly around helping people achieve their goals. So New Year's resolutions always falls really nicely into that work. Yeah. I find a lot of my job at the moment, though, has been trying to help um, people balance their um, interpretation or implementation of a New Year's resolution. Yeah. Because it's a very hotly debated topic mm. and everyone has an opinion about it which I think is incredible, but I think within those opinions, we sometimes lose sight of what a resolution is. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I say it's great, I know that you are a believer because I've been following you on social media, obviously, (laughs) and I know that you're positive. I have to be completely honest, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, Mm. but when I was thinking about it earlier today, I actually do make resolutions every single year, mm-hmm. but I, I don't like the pressure of calling them a resolution yeah, the kind of, because yeah, then you're setting yourself up then for a failure. And that's kind of, you know, obviously making it a little bit negative, which isn't good. But what do you think, Sarah T? I don't know if these nicknames are nice or not. I'm known as Sarah T. Oh, are you? Yeah, since primary school. Grant. Like, I have <laughs> women who are the grandparents of my primary school classmates bump into me in the shop and they're like, hi, oh, Sarah T. Fantastic. And I'm 27. Sarah T. So tell us, what do you um, think resolutions? I am a believer as well. Um, but I'm quite sceptical. Like, I think the problem with New Year's resolutions and the reason why so many people have become so sceptical is because they do kind of periodically fail. Yeah. And I think the reason that they fail is because so many people base their motivation 
behind their reservations on what do I think I should do? What mm-hmm. do I think people would admire me for doing? What do I think would make me look better? Yeah. yeah. Um, as opposed to like, what do I actually want? Like, what would make my life easier? We're all so obsessed with overcomplicating our lives. Mm-hmm. Like this year, I'm going to start doing this more. I'm going to start doing this more. I'm going to start doing this more. And just making life so much more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. So obviously that's going to fail. I mean, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen a lot online and stuff around this time of year is in terms of people who are against resolutions, they say, well, shouldn't we resolve to be the best versions of ourselves all year round? And ideally, yes, of course, you know, the 29th Mm -hmm. of December, we should still be trying to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong with in January. It is that time of year that people are kind of maybe thinking about making a change. So, I mean, I, I kind of commend that, even though I suppose I say that I don't believe in it I think that common humanity element of a new year's resolution is probably one of the more attractive parts of a resolution for me I love knowing that I'm going to wake up on the 1st of January and along with a hell of a lot more people make some sort of commitment to change but again this comes back to the interpretation slash implementation piece that I spoke about which is what Sarah T has said which is we make these extremely lofty and often unmanageable commitments because it sounds sexy we think that we should and other people are doing it but to create meaningful change in our life sometimes we don't need to go big sometimes just altering our course by one degree every day imagine where you'll be in 365 days small consistent action wins every single time and making that resolution on the 1st of January along with so many other people think of how empowering that will be how motivating that will be and think of the accountability and the hope And for me, I woke up on the 1st of January feeling so hopeful because of that common humanity piece, because of that excitement. I woke up with a hangover. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I was not feeling hopeful. <laughs> Later that day, I felt a little bit more hopeful. But initially, it was like the hope Fearful. that I hadn't lost my wallet. Um, but Sarah T, what do you think about the fact that we have to recognise, as, as incredible as this sounds, and like whenever I talk to Sarah D, I'm just filled with this immense sense of calm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, everything's just going to be okay. But we are a nation of people who self-deprecate. That's what we do. It's a part of our humour as yeah, well. Yeah. Do you think that's why we have such a problem with resolutions um yeah i mean i think like even when you were saying earlier on about how you're kind of cynical about it because you don't want to set yourself up for failure well like where is that coming from that's coming from a massive seed of self-doubt that you're obviously carrying around because you're automatically assuming that you're going to fail of course you're going to fail yeah if you're automatically assuming you're going to fail that's what's going to happen there's there's no two ways about it yeah and yeah we love to put ourselves down we absolutely love to put ourselves down because it's a lot easier to make a joke out of the things that you want so that when you don't get them nobody really takes it that seriously than it is to be vulnerable and say I really really want to achieve this this year yeah and then you know run the risk of people knowing that you didn't achieve it and knowing that you're hurting over it yeah it's a defence mechanism I mean it is it's funny because like last year my resolutions were to change my career and I actually did remember setting that goal in January mm-hmm. and by February that was done mm-hmm. but I didn't like shout about it as in I made this resolution and then I achieved it it was just something that I kind of did internally but yeah. I think one of the things I've noticed about resolutions is that a lot of them are are highly self-focused but that's not necessarily what it has to be I mean it could be a- about trying to incorporate things or do things for other people as well a lot of the resolutions are around 
diet and around you know just making our body look a certain way mm-hmm. and, and things that we're going to do to ourselves but maybe people don't like resolutions because are they a little selfish maybe we should look outside mm-hmm. of our own being a little as well I think we need to look at, at what drives the marketing behind the language of the communication yeah. that we use around this time of the year and I, I know it's something that we're going to talk about later but when you look at diet culture it is alive and kicking come January 1st and everywhere we go we are inundated with messages yeah. that in order to love yourself you must change yourself so do it in our gym Yeah. so mm-hmm. that's why health and fitness always plays such a big part of um, New Year's resolutions because the marketing and the messages are absolutely everywhere yeah. you, you, honestly everywhere you look there is going to be something or someone saying that self-love and acceptance will happen after you change and it's so funny I, d- I don't want to get into it too much because we are going to talk about it later yes, sorry. but it's funny no no but I mean that's the thing It's we can't really avoid it no. do you know I mean Sarah T it's funny how we're so influenced by that influx of information that's coming at us from pretty much every facet of the yeah. media around this time of year, isn't it? Yeah, like you're, I mean, we're all basically sponges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just absorb everything. And even if you don't realise, your subconscious is constantly absorbing everything. I mean, like if you're, you're right there, we are bombarded with it. I've noticed a huge change in my Instagram feed. Which is bizarre because the algorithm should know I don't want to see skinny, skinny Botox tees. I want to see fat women in their underwear. Like that's what I like. Yeah. And yet the algorithm is overriding itself just to push all of this heavily promoted, marketed, mm-hmm. pumped up sales stuff at me. That's yeah. so interesting. Like, I never thought about that. The algorithm, like it shouldn't be showing you those no, images. But it still is because the money's there. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. We are going to talk about that a little bit later on. But I know that a lot of people are going back to work today and the kids are all back in school as well. Sarah D, you wrote a really interesting blog post about heading back to work in January mm-hmm. and the anxiety that can go along with it. Um, top tips help us out make us feel calm one of the things that I tried to nurture when I was working in my old job was life outside of my job Yeah. when I was stressed and anxious in work you get caught up in that bubble and your job becomes everything and the 8 hours a day on average that you spend in the office or the 40 hours a week is everything and then the time that you spend outside of the office is used trying to recover from that so you um, you go home you order a takeout and you sit in front of the TV because I'm stressed out I've had a long day and I deserve this but when we ask ourselves those really difficult questions what does that actually do to make us feel any better yeah probably not nothing it probably just helps prolong that pain or that suffering so one of the key tips that I encourage people to consider or to to do is to fill up their time outside of work with meaningful hobbies, with um, exercises and activities that actually invite joy back into our life instead of just prolonging the pain or the suffering. Yeah. Um. So remember that jo- your job isn't everything, and you don't you do not need to be defined by it. Yeah. Um. So get a hobby, get a side project. Um. When you're in your office, try to to invite a calm space into it I am a huge believer in our environment Um, plants play a massive role in our well-being so get a plant and put it on your office table get a photograph of your friend um, of your family of your kids get a beautiful poster that reminds you of what it is that you want to achieve with this great and wonderful life that we have so there are small things that we can do just to break that passion of thought that is my job is stressful. It's the only thing that I get to do Monday to Friday. Yeah. It's 40 hours of a 120 hour working week. 
I don't think I've ever looked at it like that before. Mm, I don't think I've ever broken down the hours. 40 hours a week on average a person will spend working. Yeah. 40 hours on average we'll spend sleeping. That's 40 hours that we get to play around with. What are we doing with that time? I'm complaining a lot of the time. That was one thing that you put in <laughs> put in your blog post as well to so spend more time looking after yourself and less time mm-hmm. complaining. Yeah. Um I mean obviously during periods of stress we all <clears throat> have to vent and I think venting is 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 good for us and I think that yes, sometimes absolutely. it's really good to do. But I've actually caught myself and it's very early on in January but I've caught myself complaining already a lot and that's probably something that I really want to try not to do Sarah T what do you think about the amount of time that we might spend overthinking complaining mm, yeah I, think, I don't want to say moaning but sometimes I moan yeah there's a difference between having the occasional needed rant and yes. just being a moan like yeah. there's a t- big difference but I think like it's very very easy to overthink it's very very easy to get caught up in your head and like life is so complicated and it's so stressful and it doesn't matter what your job is or your family situation like whose life is easy yeah you know what I mean and who is constantly happy like I think there's a bit of a kind of fetishization of the word happy at the moment where you're expected to be happy all the time Mm. you're not like life gets to you but going around and moaning all the time it just doesn't do you any favours but see does life get to you because the two of you honestly like you are have such positive messages and I really respect what you're doing online um, but it seems that nothing phases you as well <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is I don't is, think she's following all of it <laughs> no, no like I mean I take the good and the bad maybe I'm only looking at the positive yeah. things but I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier and I was like I'm talking to these two women today and this is going to be a happy episode and we're going to just talk about positivity and happiness for the year ahead and what we can look forward to and I think your messages are so strong in what you're trying to put out there as well but like sometimes I don't post things because I feel like I'm being fake if I post something that's really happy when I'm feeling kind of down Mm. and I suppose you Sarah in particular you would post through that so I've seen you when you've posted things and you've been like a bit angrier on a bit of a rant about something yeah yeah I did it last night like oh I know we're gonna like I need to rant we're gonna talk about that later (laughs) because I loved that story last night but like is is this acceptance and kind of self-worth that you put on yourself about accepting the good and the bad as opposed to it being about fetishizing the word happy and being happy the whole time I think so yeah I mean it's all about ratio for me right yeah. so you're never going to be happy 100% of the time that is not a goal of mine I'm not aspiring to that because I don't have like time to waste to be honest but I'm aspiring to improving my ratio right. so I want to be happy twice as much as I'm sad yeah. or twice as much as I'm angry and it, for me it used to be the opposite like happiness was so rare I was just miserable all the time so I'm constantly working on the ratio and I think that's a really handy way for people to think about it because it does take the pressure off. Yeah. You can't be happy all the time and this thing about like social media is the devil for this. Like, yeah. You know, you're supposed to just love life constantly and, you know, all the hashtags that go with it and sometimes you just want to moan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you want one, you should have it but draw a line under it and once you've had it, then move on. Yeah. yeah. Don't dwell, I suppose. Yeah. I think one of the the very important messages that I always try to communicate is that happiness does not mean that we've eliminated negativity from our life by any stretch of the imagination. This perception or fetishization <laughs> did I say that word right that, with, I can't even remember how I said <laughs> with happiness I think is has been has been given to us by by Hollywood, Hollywood film and mm. romance novels that say happiness means that we sit there with our pom-poms and we are just glued with a smile to our face 
if if you look at optimism, if you look at positivity, it means that yes, we can embrace the good with the bad, but we acknowledge that there is a silver lining and that we will bounce back. So optimism is a skill set that I try to nurture with clients and people all of the time. You're faced with an obstacle. Okay, that's life. As yeah. Sarah T has mentioned, it's it's not going to go away. But do you believe that you'll bounce back? Mm. And that's what optimism is. And that's what positivity is. It's not walking around with rose-tinted glasses going, life is so fantastic. And oh my God, I'm so happy all of the time. (laughs) That was my American accent. I think I failed miserably. It's about going, okay, there's a road bump here. But there's also a silver lining down the road. And I will bounce back. And that's a really important message that I think that I try to communicate I used to be called grumpy when I was younger and I got asked to leave a sports camp once because I was affecting the general mood of everyone around me. I just can't imagine you being grumpy. Like it just doesn't come out. But what it does go to show is that happiness is a skill set that can be nurtured. Yeah, And you, what you have when you're born with will inform a percentage of the happiness that you will experience over life. But happiness up to 40% will be informed by activities that we engage in, that we choose to engage in every single day. And that is... I guess that is, is is misunderstood. People don't get that there is this beautiful science of happiness yeah. that if we were to explore it a little bit more, we would be able to give ourselves a break and mm. we would be able to learn how to go with the flow and to nurture all of the messy, wonderful feelings that life is made up of. So before we put a pin in our New Year's resolutions, I do want to ask you both what your resolutions are for the year ahead. So Sarah T, I want to come to you first. I don't know, sometimes it's a personal thing though. If you have personal goals... Nothing in my life is personal. (laughs) That's okay too. (laughs) So let us know, what are Um, your resolutions for next year, this year? Well, it's kind of funny. So last year I didn't have any resolutions because I had just finished a year of counselling. I was like six months off my antidepressants and I was still quite like... terrified to do anything to rock the boat and this year I've gone into it like all guns blazing I have nine resolutions nine wow yeah because I've divided them up so I said I wanted to make sure I tackled all aspects of my life so I've got personal uh, professional and financial and I've got three for each that's really and when I was kind of thinking about them I thought okay I want them all to be motivated by one of two things either they make my life easier and simpler yeah or they make me happier and more fulfilled okay so each of the nine ticks off one of those boxes wow, wow. that's a lot yeah and they're available on my blog ah. <laughs> just I posted them today if anybody wants more details save the plugs for the end of the podcast <laughs> save the plugs for the end Sarah D what are your resolutions um I have you're getting two. married this year aren't you yes oh wow okay yeah, I know that's not a resolution that's no. actually just that's, that's just happening maybe it's my resolution but that's a different story um so my first resolution is a personal one but I am uh, becoming a weekday vegetarian so I am taking steps towards that Okay. the first step is to eliminate pork Monday to Friday and then I hope within the next few months that I will be completely off meat Monday to Friday and then the second resolution is to um, spend less time on social media Um, Mm. it is Mm. a um, it is a great source of joy in my life social media but it's also the reason I need a goddamn therapist so, <laughs> so. this is something that we're going to transition into because yeah. I do want to talk about social media now in a little bit but we're going to take a quick break for our spotlight on sport I caught up with Irish running legend Katrina McKiernan recently as she prepared to launch a series of races for runners of all abilities in 2018 
I'm joined now by multi-world cross-country medalist Katrina McKiernan, who is also now the brand ambassador for the 2018 Kia Race Series. Katrina, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're going to talk about the newly launched race series in a few minutes and the running boom that's currently happening across Ireland. But first, can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in your sport in the beginning? Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm in Cavan and I just started running. I just liked running around the fields from a very, very young age. Uh, there was no athletic club, but I played a lot of camogie uh, along with my sisters. And um, then it was in my last year at secondary school, there was an athletic club set up and I won the All-Ireland Schools from that. And I realised then that I had a, had a talent and I just got a little bit more serious about it. And then a year or so later after that, I got a coach and... Uh, yeah, so that's really how it started. So you won silver at the World Cross Country Championships for four years in a row in the 90s, which is unbelievable. And then you won the Berlin Marathon and the London Marathon as well. When did you know that it was time to maybe call it a day? Or when did you have the feeling that maybe retirement was on the horizon? Yeah, I suppose you never really retire. <laughs> you know, once once you're a runner, you never really retire from it. I still love to run. But yeah, from, from competitive uh, and, and from training very hard. You know, I, I found that the train, training was becoming a little bit more difficult. I found that I wasn't able to compete as well as I used to. And I lost the hunger a little bit like that. And, you know, your priorities change as well. And uh, I had I got married and I had uh, my daughter, Dervla, and uh, then my son, Patrick as well so you know all during those years when they were small and that they were my main priority and you know I enjoyed rearing them and seeing them you know the different stages of their of, of their growing up. So let's talk about this race series now that you're you're kind of the brand ambassador which is brilliant so it's kicking off in March and it's encouraging Ireland's best male and female distance athletes to compete against each other so and the runners I think have to compete in five out of the eight and then the finale as well so why did you feel this was something that you wanted to get behind as an initiative? Yeah, well, I suppose I love running so much and I would love to see our own athletes doing well. And I feel something like this will encourage our athletes to compete against each other and therefore they will improve and their times will get faster. You know, if they put into their mindset that, OK, I'm going to work hard over the next six months and, and train and compete in these races and then be on the start line and run against other good athletes that they only can achieve and get better. So, you know... It's just out of the love of the sport that I, that I got involved in this. Can I ask your best advice for runners who would say, come up against a wall in their training? So they're not seeing improvements in their times. They're not seeing any improvements in their strength. Um, did that happen to you during your career? Did you ever hit a wall and think, oh God, I'm just going to pack this in? And if so, if people are still really, really want to improve, but they feel like they're stagnant, what would be your best advice? Yeah, well, I suppose a change is as good as a rest. And as you use the word stagnant, it means that they need to have a change. Maybe they're just, you know, fed up with the usual routine. For instance, if they're not, if they're training alone, maybe to try and make it more sociable, more enjoyable and that. Just have a look at their overall training. In, in a lot of cases, it can be also that they're overtraining and doing too much training and become stale. And, you know, there's very little room for progression if you're running you know, on a tired body all the time. So, you know, they would need to look at that as well. I suppose from a more professional point of view, when I was training, I would have used a heart rate monitor a lot. 
and it gave me a good indication of, of if I was overtraining or not and to be cautious or to be careful on my easy runs that I was running easy enough so that you know so that every run that I went out and that I wasn't running fast and you know burning the candle at, at both ends so you know a few things like that to look at and maybe get a little bit of a holiday and go away somewhere nice and warm and train there for a little bit as well so that you just refresh the body again. That is great advice. I definitely need a holiday. Um, another thing that I'm always fascinated by runners, especially long distance running, just say you're in the thick of a race and you're hitting that dark space of just like pain and you're just like, oh God, is this race ever going to end? What goes through your mind if you can kind of cast yourself back to the days when you were a competitive runner? Did you have any kind of mental tricks that you would put through your own paces to keep yourself going? Absolutely. And, you know, it's a very good question and it's one I'm glad to be able to share the answer with people um, first and foremost racing is difficult and I think if you accept that even before you start it's half the battle so when you're at the start line or even in the days leading up to it accept that okay this is going to be painful and um, then when you do you know experience the pain it doesn't feel as bad uh, because you know you were you know you were accepting it and for me I would have you know when I get to that point in the race whereby as you said you know or as I would say my legs were hanging off me I would think of all the hard training that I put in all the commitment all the effort and also my family at home and all the people that were supporting me that was a great driving force for me because I did have a lot of support and you know immediately then I was able to block out the pain and just think of of those people and the joy that I was bringing those people and they brought me to the you know they drove me to the finish line. That's an incredible trick. I'm going to use that one in the future. Just before I let you go, now, I know since you retired in 2004, you've been carrying out workshops and, and things like this across the country to kind of promote running and, and to get people involved. And I know that you're very interested in, now, I may be saying this wrong, is it chi, chi running? Yes, yes. Chi running, yes. So it's influenced heavily by Tai Chi. Can you just explain to me what that is and why? I know that it's for preventative measures when it comes to injury or returning from injury but can you explain that a little bit yes yeah, so basically what it's about it's um chi is the flow of energy through our body and we all have chi in our body it can't be quantified but it's there but how we can tap in on it is by good good posture and relaxation so posture is the cornerstone of of good running form if you're running with incorrect posture it causes fatigue discomfort and eventually pain so what I do is I do workshops and running classes with people showing them good good running form to prevent injuries to clear up injuries to make running easier on themselves so there's less impact on their body Katrina best of luck with the race series I'm very excited I probably won't be taking part in it myself now I'm not a long distance runner unfortunately um, but finally before we go do you have any words of advice for the athletes who are going to be taking part in this incredible initiative which is starting in March yeah well I suppose for the elite athletes like you know to to plan it out well in advance, plan, you know, what races you're going to do, what five races you're going to do, and plan your your training around that. And also, you know, when you're running at a high level, it only lasts for a very short period of time. When I was at my top level, I, I think, oh, this is going to last forever. But it doesn't. And you must put in, you know, you know, put things aside and just be focused 
you know, be committed and get the most out of yourself. Do as much work as they possibly can. Okay, set your pla- set your training out properly. Give yourself time to recover as well. Set your racing plan out. And then, you know, for the ordinary people then, I don't like to use that word, but, you know, again, to have your plan as well and to, to you know, most importantly at every end, you know, regardless of what level you're at, to enjoy it. Brilliant. Katrina, thank you so much. Okay, so we're back and in keeping with our positive theme this week, we're going to talk about body positivity and social media. So social media has been a driving force in the body positivity and wellness movements. It allows users to share their personal stories as well as their own messages of hope for people who are struggling with insecurities. Sarah T, we did speak a little bit earlier about your Instagram and it's kind of been a long road for you to self-acceptance. And you have spoken about the kind of pictures that you've posted. Mm. You you post a lot of nude pictures mm. and things like this. But for our readers and our listeners who don't know, can you just tell us about how you got onto Instagram in the first place with your Bopo message? Yeah. Um, well, can I, can I just say, by the way, I said Bopo to colleagues and they thought that I made it up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no, it's real. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I kind of took credit. And then I went, they're going to know that I didn't make it up. So Bopo stands for... Body positive. Body positive. Okay, go. so do explain a little bit. Um, well, so basically, I... Oh God, I had really bad depression, right? I was suicidal. The work's really, really bad. And I had six months of antidepressants and then a year of therapy. And at the end of the year of therapy, my therapist kind of said to me, I've given you all I can give you. It's time for you to go off and kind of work on this stuff at home. And... That year in therapy, I had taken a complete break from social media, right? I had deleted all my accounts, like not deactivated, deleted them. Okay. And in January 2017, I decided to set up an Instagram account again. And I started to look for hashtags like self-love because that was what I had worked with um, my therapist on. And I just came across body positive accounts all of Mm -hmm. a sudden. And I was kind of, they made me really uncomfortable, right? To to look at. Yeah, it made me, because I mean, when do you see... Uh, plus size women and I mean real plus size women like size 26 not size 18 yeah. in their underwear yeah. when? I mean it's you, a, it's you a good point it. yeah. you don't see it ever ever well you don't see it on the runways you don't see it in the magazines and That's you don't see it of... on social media unless you're looking at body positive stuff Yeah, you don't see it on social media yeah. you don't even see it on beaches and stuff because most women of that size are too insecure so for me I had to desensitise myself to all these images but it, it sort of like initiated this really rapid transformation where I was like I was I became addicted to looking at these accounts and kind of reading the captions watching their stories listening to what they were talking about watching their YouTube videos and um, that month later on that month I think it was the 24th of January I set up my own account and I didn't want anybody to see it like I didn't I was doing this for me I was just that determined to improve the relationship I had with my body I didn't want anybody to see my body I still hated my body okay um, so from that point it kind of slowly gathered momentum and I was kind of posting pictures and like the first nude picture I posted I remember I was shaking and crying and I like I had to put my phone in my bedroom and leave the house because I was so tempted to delete it like it was so scary I was so wow. terrified of it Um. And yeah, I just started getting followers and, and, and all of a sudden I was getting messages from people saying that what I was doing was helping them and that they understood the things I was talking about and that it felt to them like I was kind of telling them about their experiences, like they related so much to it. And I never really looked back then. And mm. when you say that you 
didn't want anybody to see it mm. originally. Was that your friends and family and people that you knew as opposed to you wanted to be a part of this community, but you didn't necessarily want your friends and family maybe to know that you were posting these shots? Is that what you mean? It's kind of both. Like, I definitely didn't want my friends and family. I had, like, most of my friends and family blocked for a really long time. Okay. Um, Like, you know the way the Instagram suggestions come up? If yeah. somebody would come up, I'd be like, block straight away. <laughs> wow. Um, But I also didn't really want to be part of the community because I still felt like I didn't deserve to be there. Like, okay. I'd still look at the bodies of these other women and go, okay, so she's the same size as me, but she has a nicer shape or she's prettier or... You know, I always kind of put them up on this pedestal. So it took me a really long time. Like I'd say it took me six months before I kind of fully accepted that I had every right to post these pictures and to talk about the things that I talked about. It's funny, we kind of touched on it earlier. I mean, social media in general, I think, is a bit of a tough one. So in the in the first kind of few days of January, I've... I've pulled back from posting stories um, and it wasn't something that I decided to do. It was literally something that I noticed people were starting to comment more on my stories and I was getting a bit more messages. So I thought that I'm oversharing and I was like, well, why do people want to know, do you know, if a spider attacked me in my car, which it did. I love your stories. Do you? Yeah. Okay, well, I just want to say a spider attacked me in my car on the 2nd of January and I didn't post it, but I was traumatised by it. But I mean, I suppose... I felt like it was a fear that I was oversharing and mm. and just a weirdness of people <clears throat> knowing what I was doing at, at all points. And I mean, you said that one of your resolutions, Sarah D, is to kind of uh, not spend as much time on social media, but mm-hmm. it's integral to, to what you're both doing. Mm-hmm. But have you felt that fear about your own stories or are you just in a kind of a better place than I would be in terms of, I suppose I check who look as well. Like yeah. I do, I check, I check. I have quite a um, um, a clear structure around how I use social media. Yeah. So for me, my Instagram page is is definitely more personal, and it is a look inside of my business. The work that I do with women around body image or confidence or self esteem is easier, and the trust is is easier <clears throat> to get when that woman has seen a part of my life yeah, which yeah. I am happy to share so um, for example um, I will share um, images about uh, images of myself I will share thoughts about my relationships to food exercise and my body mm. but you're not going to see me harping on about my wedding all of the time uh, you're not yeah. going to see me harping on about my relationship with James all of the time because again I have this very clear structure on on what I want to yeah. share and, and what mm. I want people to see. Um, so if I share something, it's because I genuinely believe that it's going to help people. Um, I recently, within the last maybe year since doing my TEDx talk, started sharing photographs of me in crop tops, right. which was very difficult, very different to you, but very difficult for me. But one of the reasons why I did it was because on that particular day, maybe I was feeling a little bit bloated. Maybe I wasn't feeling attractive. And I was so sick and tired. I was so upset watching women on social media say, oh, feeling bloated today, here's the t-shirt or I have to wear the baggy clothes. And I just said, no, my body is worth so much more than that. So I, I mean, will celebrate her no matter what I size suppose, she is. I suppose for people who may not know, like your TED Talk that you did was titled How to Love Your Body and, mm-hmm. and you spoke about the struggles that you had with bulimia in the past. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound like a weird question, but it's to both of you. 
So how long did it take you to get to that point? Like you said, Sarah T, that initially when you joined Instagram and started posting about body positivity, that you didn't necessarily feel like you deserve to be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And Sarah D, you spoke about your struggles <clears throat> with bulimia through your 20s. And mm-hmm. when you kind of decided to make that decision to love yourself and, and have a better relationship, I want to know how long that takes, basically. I don't think that there is a time frame, but I think the the question that you should ask yourself is not when will I get there but yeah. do I feel worthy of the effort mm. do I feel worthy of the time and the commitment I was over 10 years um, suffering or experiencing bulimia and I didn't wake up one day saying okay I'm going to love myself today I woke up one day saying I am worthy of trying something different mm. Because yeah. up until that point, how I felt about my body consumed my entire existence. So I just said, I'm going to try something else. It's a journey. It's a yeah, journey. I think it's a really gradual thing. Like yeah. I never really decided to love myself. I just decided to try and hate myself less. Wow. And it was less and less and less and less. And I yeah. remember doing affirmations with my therapist and he was like, I want you to stand in front of the mirror and say, I love myself. And I, I, every time I tried, I'd cry. Mm-hmm. So I, then I'd have to say, I choose to love myself because I couldn't even say the words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just like this really subtle, gradual, like one degree every day makes a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. As opposed to just getting up and being like, it's the 1st of January. I am now obsessed with myself and I think I'm fantastic. Yeah. And I'm going to do undo 30 years worth of brainwashing yeah. in this day. And can I ask Sarah T about what the reaction has been to say more <laughs> the, I don't even really want to call them provocative, but the more nude pictures that you've posted yeah. on your social media what has the reaction been um i get trolls you know of course uh i am a size 24 woman who puts naked pictures on the internet i'm a trolls mecca um but that's do you know what actually i love trolls because do you feed them though do you respond no 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 never um never feed a troll that's what i've been told never feed a troll yeah. yeah uh no i think trolls are great in this sense because they force you to strengthen your convictions okay yeah. um which i think in terms of body positivity is so important because it's such a difficult thing to do society wants you to hate yourself yeah um mm-hmm. and you know the only way that you're going to make it work is if you're constrict you're convictions are rock solid and trolls just force that on you Um, but apart from trolls like there is you know there is a corner of the internet dedicated specifically to men who uh, you know have a particular liking for big women I love how you phrase that you selected your words so carefully I could see the path I don't know what I can say I could see the path from your brain to your mouth that was beautifully executed um, you can say whatever you want so they spend some time there as well and those comments have to get deleted but most of the time I get like I get a lot of direct messages from girls who like really personal messages girls kind of confessing to me their history with eating disorders their histories of self-harm thanking me um, really really personal stuff like I regularly cry over messages that I get you know I yeah. find them so touching yeah. uh, so that makes it all completely worthwhile like I love mm-hmm. it last night um, you went on uh, a self-confessed rant mm-hmm. that's what you call it yourself so I don't want to call it a rant um, but it was about a WhatsApp group that you're in and I suppose this is kind of talking about trolls a little bit like we kind of troll each other sometimes and I feel like sometimes WhatsApp groups are are a tough place for women to be Mm. 
there's a bit of bandwagoning that goes on there's a little bit of like you know oh god we're in this together or and also just the amount of times that people go I feel so fat today I literally like my thighs are rubbing off each other they're gonna have to roll me out of here like the language that we use in mm. these whatsapp groups with other women it's spreading I think more negativity and then when I chime in sometimes to try like and I do sometimes I just be like will you shut up I say it to my friends I'm like you're not fat Mm. But we it, try but to one up each other yeah. with um, criticisms about life and body and yeah. our job. But um, we're shaming each other, and that's something yeah. that I think we should probably try not to do. So you snapped last night, did you? <laughs> I did. Like I did. Mean but these to are your friends, up. right? These are my friends. Yeah. And when I snapped, I didn't call them all. I'm not going to say that word, but I didn't call yeah. them that. But I just kind of like, I, you know, I feel like first of all, when you slag off your body in front of somebody who has a similar body type to yours, you're slagging their body off. Yeah. I don't care if you're not motivated for that reason or you don't mean that. You are slagging off their body. Yeah. That's not okay. I also feel like when you slag off your body, you are enabling and empowering anybody else to slag off your body. Like, what is the difference between a man coming up to me and telling me I'm fat and disgusting on Instagram and my friend, who's the exact same size as me, tell me she's fat and disgusting. Yeah. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're not going to defend yourself and your body, how can you expect anybody else to bother to monitor the words they use around that? Yeah. And you're totally right. It's this one-upmanship, like, oh, I'm fatter than you. I'm uglier than you. Mm-hmm. It's the Irish self-deprecation thing where, like, I want to be the best at being awful. Yeah. And I'm going to make a really fun competition out of this. And... You know, we are sponges and if like all of that, even if it's just a bit of crack at the time, it's all being absorbed yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just get so frustrated when groups of women who are friends with each other cultivate and actually kind of celebrate that attitude. I think like, and Sarah D, maybe you can weigh in on this. I think that it's almost as if we're trying to make each other feel better, but by using language and by putting ourselves down to to make other people feel like like you could have eaten all the turkey in the world you're mm-hmm. still way skinnier than I am so don't worry yeah. but I mean mm-hmm. that's not it's not rooted in positivity it's actually rooted in tearing ourselves down in order to spread I suppose it's coming from maybe a good place but, but I you're think you're still doing the thing where you're saying you're not going to put on weight so don't worry but if you did put on weight you would need to yeah. worry Yeah, you're still tying your worth to weight and to your body. Yeah. yeah. And then that just reinforces constantly that body talk amongst women is still one of the most popular topics of yeah, conversation. It is. And it's all we talk about it. Body is, yeah. talk and one upmanship and I'm fatter. I was in a nail salon recently and the women were physically comparing the size of their calves. And I just find it obsession because we we don't know how else to talk about our bodies. Yeah. But yet I've started this practice when I go to the gym or when I go walking, I will sit there and um, think about what incredible things that I'm doing with my body at the moment. I, I would I would definitely feel very, very drawn to the body, body positive community. I sometimes struggle trying to almost politicise my body in, in, in the way that I think <clears throat> the community might want me to but yeah. for me my experience of my body is a very personal one yeah. but I, I think that's a really interesting point because 
I think everybody has a really personal relationship with their own bodies. I know like I have <clears throat> two kind of things that stand out to me in my brain and it's so funny that I'm it, it's snapshots of my life but it's actually related to my weight. Mm-hmm. So one of the times I remember I had just gone through like a horrific breakup and I lost a shed ton of weight mm-hmm. and there was this one particular picture of me and my face was really gaunt and I had so much makeup on to kind of hide that gauntness mm. but I got so many compliments on that picture and from from people in my family and stuff saying oh my god you look so beautiful and years later I remember being like do you remember how sad I was like I was the saddest I'd ever been in that moment when that picture was taken I had a really big fake smile on lots of makeup Mm -hmm. like my cheeks were sunken in I think I look back on it now and I only think of how I was feeling but at the time when people said how great I looked it made me feel good and then another time was when somebody like a couple of years later when I had stopped being so sad and I had gained a bit of weight somebody said off the cuff meant to be a compliment oh the little bit of weight suits you but they didn't say you look great no they mentioned the weight yeah they said oh the little bit of weight suits you and I I know that the person meant it to be a compliment Mm -hmm. but inside because because my weight reflected my emotions I was like I'm too happy and now I'm fat like literally that's what I thought in my crazy brain but we do this as women all of the time we we reduce our existence and our experiences in life to our weight yeah and it's either a a number on the weighing scales and for many women in today's society it's also how many kilometres I ran Mm. on the treadmill or how much weight was on the barbell or macros or calories so Mm. we we, we reduce our entire existence as women our ability to feel confident happy and beautiful in this world is determined by how we look in it and I find that a very very sad place I suppose Sarah T like you've spoken as well on on your story last night in particular like you spoke about your daughter a little bit and you spoke Mm. about the kind of message that you I suppose when you're doing something like this you're, you're portraying yourself in a certain way mm. and I suppose those are things that you want to instill in your daughter when she's growing up. Yeah, It would be absolutely. great to think that our children that we raise, if we ever have children, myself and you, Sarah D, that they would grow up in a world where we're not consumed by these kind of things, you know? Yeah, like my number one priority as a parent has changed and now all I want to do is just save her the pain that I put myself through. Yeah. Uh, Completely I, like... I would feel the exact same way. I don't care what she does yeah. with her life. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't even necessarily care about her physical health or any of that stuff. I just want to make sure that I raise a mentally healthy individual who mm-hmm. can manage their mental health for the rest of their life. I can't wait for the day that myself and James become parents and I would want to instill in my daughter the exact same message that Sarah T thank you (laughs) the exact same message that Sarah T is trying to instill because again as a woman we are made to feel like the most important part of our existence is our appearance yeah Um, but I want my daughter to be able to grow up and leave the house without checking her reflection in the mirror yeah yeah absolutely Mm. and not feel like I mean like so my daughter Rosie's seven I remember my first body shame thought was my ninth birthday party so she's two years away from that age and Nine, that's like so that young. terrifies me yeah. you know what I mean and and like what I what I've done is I think people are so afraid to talk to kids about real stuff mm. yes. like we're so obsessed with yeah. protecting our kids and putting them in this bubble the truth is kids are far more able to handle the truth than we are yeah mm-hmm. um, they're so like refreshingly I, honest as well yeah, they are and they, they just are. keep things simple yeah. yeah you know what I mean they just take in information they come to a conclusion and that's it they don't yeah. overcomplicate it yeah um, so I've told Rosie about my depression 
my my antidepressants, my therapy. Um, she's seen my Instagram. Sometimes she acts as a photographer. Really? Um, yeah. I does don't she like really, the pictures? She does. Yeah. I don't really like to put her up in my story because I don't yeah. really want her to be involved. Like, I don't yeah. want her to be visible, you know? Yeah. But, um, no, I've talked to her in really simple terms about, like, why hating my body and looking at everybody else's body and saying, I want her body, I want her legs, eventually made me hate myself and say, I want to be like that person. I want to be like this person. I don't like who I am. Yeah. And how I'm now having to make this big effort to turn all that around. And she's just like the most body positive kid on the planet. Like That's amazing. She's just, yeah. you know, she's all about girl power. And like she, her little motto is, I'm not decorative. You oh know, and God, she goes around shouting this to people like at Christmas. Right? I'm not everybody, decorative. Everybody was like, oh, Rosie, you're so cute. Look at your dress. Look at your dress. Give me a kiss, blah, 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 blah. And Rosie was like, I'm not decorative. Oh I don't God. have to kiss you if I don't want to kiss you. I love that. And I'm just like, yeah that's my girl I'm going to yeah. actually probably take that one mm. off Rosie because I get it. called cute all the time and stuff and if yeah. I wear a bow forget mm. about it <laughs> like I am decorative mm. um, so tell me what's coming up next for you guys Sarah Doyle you have your Empowered Women workshop coming up very soon I do and on also you've gone and written a book I did tell us about it <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a journal called Be Your Own Best Friend and it is a daily journal for women for building self-esteem and using compassion in everyday wow. life so the idea is that um, I wanted to be able to create a space where women could actually learn how they can talk to themselves as they would their best friend because and I think this is something that I saw on your Instagram page um, but how we talk to ourselves matters it really really matters and I am so sad but also so exhausted by negative thoughts that I either experience on a personal level or I see in, in a WhatsApp group or in a social session or with my clients and I think that it's time that we change the record for me one of the reasons why I spoke about my eating disorder at my TEDx talk and one of the reasons why I do the work that I do is because I feel that self-compassion is without a doubt one of the most transformative lessons Mm. that we can teach ourselves and if you would not say it to your best friend if you wouldn't say it to a stranger on the street then why do we feel like it's okay to say these things to ourselves so my journal is hopefully going to help a few women nurture those positive thoughts preach thank you preach girl (laughs) Sarah T what about you 2018 big year I think we probably need to talk about the fact that you're on the Late Late Show on Friday which is an unbelievable start to the year I know it's a great way to start the year I'm delighted but I mean obviously this means that like your message is getting out there and you're making waves so is that what you're planning to do for the rest of the year just keep making those waves yeah basically like you know last year the Instagram kind of like ran away with me and turned into something that I never really wanted or expected or knew how to deal with and this year I'm kind of like okay I'm going to actually try to make something of this yeah Um. so I'm redoing my website and stuff like that right. and uh, I have a couple of other like possible fun projects in the pipeline that I'm going to explore and just like keep a really open mind and and can I ask you a really personal question do you fancy Ryan Tuberty um I mean I think I do like who doesn't <laughs> no do people not fancy Ryan Tuberty I think I fancy Ryan Tuberty why do you only think it no I I've th- known that I fancy Ryan no, Tuberty since I think I fancy Ryan Tuberty and it's based on uh, the Late Late Toy Show this year I swear oh, to god that's a weird reason to no. <laughs> I swear to god like 10 minutes in I was messaging my girls and I was just like lads are we all looking at the same like this is Tubbs yeah um, maybe I it was the pr- shirt that he started with or something <laughs> 
I was confused by the message of the toy show. Okay, ladies, I think we'll leave it at that. So on that note, that is all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to my guest panellists, Sarah Doyle and Sarah Tyrrell. Thanks to our spotlight on sport, Katrina McKiernan. Paul Donegan was on sound. Big thanks to my behind-the-scenes squad, Anya Leach and Kat Stewart. I'm Neve Mar, and we'll chat to you next week. I just need to go find Tubbs' phone number now. I have it. No! <laughs> 